Okay, we're doing nectar of instruction, text one, two, and three. Jaya Radha Madhava Kunjabi Hari Jaya Radha Madhava Kunjabi Hari Gopi Janabhava Yerivara Jari Gopi Janabhava Yerivara Jari Jasodhanandana Vajrajana Ranjana Jasodhanandana Vajrajana Ranjana Jamunati Ravana Jamunati Ravana
सर्वोत्तम सदृशम परिजनों सहायता कृष्ण
and then attaining nista on the level of the mind. It's with progressive orders of difficulty. All right, let's take a look now at text one. So here we're learning that sense gratification is incompatible with spiritual life and happiness. That you can't have both. You can't have sense gratification and spiritual life. They just they just don't don't go together like oil and water. I can't light a fire while I'm pouring water on it. So why is it? I remember one Sunday feast class, one guest, one new guest asking me, can't I have both material happiness and spiritual happiness? Now, interestingly enough, the answer to that is yes, but not on the platform of what we normally call sense gratification. I mean, in one sense, the demigods have both, although they don't have if they're absorbed in personal sense gratification, then they don't have full spiritual bliss. Even Lord Brahma, if he's absorbed in the Abhiman of I am Lord Brahma, I am the creator, then he also cannot experience full spiritual bliss. But also we find, and another, from another point of view, we find Srila Prabhupada often telling us that if you have a million dollars, all of your $10 problems are solved. And it's interesting that at least one time when Srila Prabhupada explains that, he explains it in the same way that modern psychologists are teaching. He said, you don't try to drive away poverty. You simply become a rich man. And when you become a rich man, your poverty is automatically driven away. So this is modern psychology also teaches us that, that you don't focus on what you want to get rid of. You focus on what you want to attain. So in that sense, when you have Krishna consciousness, you also feel satisfied materially. You don't need to make a separate effort for it. And we find that Krishna giving this sort of benediction to some of his devotees, the florist in Mathura, to Dhruva Maharaj, uh, belief to the Prachetas, there's many places in the Bhagavatam where Krishna will give one of his devotees or a group of his devotees the benediction that you're going to attain full spiritual awareness and you're also going to have everything within this world. And we may say, well, why do we say sense gratification and Krishna consciousness are incompatible? They're diametrically opposed. Whenever you have one, you can't have the other. And that is because what we mean by sense gratification is a false, something based on a false sense of identity. All of our actions, all of our thoughts, about body, mind, and words are based on our identity. I always first decide, who am I? Our actions in life are not based on, well, let's see, this is going to get me this thing, and I'm going to lose this thing. Yeah, our actions are based on our identity. We think, okay, I'm a good mother. What would a good mother do in this situation? Or I'm an American citizen. What would an American citizen do in this situation? There's, there's so many psychological studies that prove this, that what we do, what we choose to do, what we choose to say is based upon our sense of identity, what we choose to think about. 
what should I talk about in this? Well, I'm, I'm a good, loyal member of ISKCON, so what should I say? What would a good, loyal member of ISKCON say? What would a, a good Indian say? What would a good Indian do? What would a young woman do? What would a, a good husband do? And we, we, we uh, code our actions accordingly. What we call sense gratification is action based on the identity that I'm separate from Krishna. Then I'm a separate Lord. Ahankarabi mudhatma kartahami. That I am the doer. That I am the Lord. That I am the center. That everything revolves around me and what I want and what I need and what I want and what I need now. And I should get what I want and what I need now. And I should get it in the way that I want it. And those who facilitate that are my friends and those who don't are my enemies that I am the most important person in the room, I am the most important person on the planet, I'm waiting for everybody else to notice it. I mean, hey, I'm the most important person, period. That Krishna should be absorbed in, in me and what I want. And everybody should be looking out for me and respecting me and appreciating me and talking about me and thinking about me. And therefore I define happiness as giving pleasure to me. And because I'm falsely defining me as the body and mind, therefore I think that happiness should be given to my body and mind. And that's what I'm working for. Now that's, you can't do that and have Krishna as the center. It's not possible. I mean, even in ordinary relationship, even in a relationship between husband and wife, as soon as the parties start thinking about what's in it for me, how am I benefiting, as soon as people think like that, there's going to be strife in a relationship. Friends and friends, parents and children, brother and brother. As soon as people start thinking, wait a minute, what's the scorecard looking at, looking like? You know, like these uh, family counselors and books about on relationships. They talk about how people keep score, how do men keep score, how do women keep score. And people are keeping score, and they want the score to be even or slightly in their favor as long as it's slightly in their favor. They don't want it too much in their favor, because then they figure the other person will back out of the relationship and they won't get anything. But they're trying to have it slightly in their favor all the time. So as long as I'm thinking like that, that things have to be slightly in my favor, that I'm the one who has to get what I want, how can I put Krishna in the center? I can't. And unless I put Krishna in the center... There's no, there's no meaning to spiritual life. Spiritual life means that Krishna is in the center. Spiritual life means truth. The difference between spiritual life and material life, material life is false. I'm not the center. The whole universe is a speck of dust. What you speak of this planet and the universe, it's not even a speck of dust. And on the whole planet, you know, just comparing me with a, a big building. I'm invisible. I'm nothing. I'm something in the sense that Krishna loves me. Otherwise, I'm nothing. So it's false. I'm not the center. I'm not the center of anything. I'm not even the center for my family and my friends. What you speak of the center in general. So it's false. That Krishna is the center is real. And I cannot both be in truth and be in falsity at the same time. So therefore, 
One must control these urgents. And interestingly enough, the way we control these urgents is not, is not through determination, strength of will, and repression. That doesn't work. It works for a while. There was uh, many experiments in this regard, but one of them, I might have mentioned it to this group before, there was a, a group of, of people in an experiment who were brought into a room where there were fresh-baked cookies and radishes. And the whole room was full of the smell of the fresh-baked cookies. And half the group, they told them, you can eat as many cookies as you want. And the other group, when they brought them in, they said, you can only eat radishes. Then after they finished eating, they were given an unsolvable math problem, a math problem with no solution. And they found that the people who had eaten the cookies worked over twice as long on the problem before giving up as the people who had eaten the radishes. What happens is that our willpower becomes tired. Our willpower becomes tired. You know, you see this with people who have a lot of children. They tend to be strict with the first child and the more their willpower becomes tired. You know, there's only so long you can do something that's hard by force. After a while, you're like, oh, forget it. This is the problem that happens to people who are trying to change anything in their life by strength of will. So we're not talking about control of the body, mind, and words by strength of willpower. That will work sometimes for a brief period of time. And of course, we're not saying not to use any willpower. It's useful for brief periods of time. Our willpower is useful for a few minutes to keep us from feeling, to keep us from hitting somebody, to keep us from saying something nasty that we'll later regret. But we are not able to control our senses entirely with willpower. We get tired. Our guard lets down. And then we end up acting on another platform. So the way that we control our mind and senses and words is by changing our identity. It's the only way. One has to change one's identity. I am Krishna's servant. I am Krishna's servant. Krishna is the center. I'm trying to make Krishna happy. What would make Krishna happy? And how are we going to change our identity? By hearing and by associating. Krishna Saitama, Krishna Dijekam, Somara Sakatayachi. Krishna is yours, we say to the Vaishnava. You have the power to give him to us. And we associate with people who have Krishna as a center. And we see how happy they are. We can't, we can't find happiness by doing something that's false. It's like you can't become satisfied sticking food in your ear. It's false. And we see people who are on the real platform and they're happy. And then we see when I do something for Krishna, I feel happy and I feel like a quality of happiness that's very, very different from sense gratification. So therefore, Prabhupada gives us, a, he goes through each of the things mentioned in the verse. He says we should speak about Krishna and for Krishna. And we can look here very briefly at the, at the four austerities of speech. Maybe there are five austerities of speech. Truthful, pleasing, beneficial, not agitating, and based on the data. So five. Okay. 
So our speech should be truthful. We shouldn't speak lies unless we need to speak a lie to protect someone, but not a lie to protect ourselves. Unless it's somebody who's like trying to kill us, not to protect our, uh, our ego. We speak something that's true. We speak th- th- things that will actually help other people. Not that I speak cruel truths that will cause pain and suffering to others. Or useless truths. There's trees outside. Useless truths. So I speak truths that are beneficial. The content of my truth is pleasing. I don't speak bitter truth. And not agitating to others. I, my words are pleasing. I don't use swear words. I don't use harsh language. And based on the Vedas, I understand truth by what is in the Vedas. Of those five, the one that is least important is that the content be pleasing. Especially if you are a teacher, it is required sometimes to speak bitter truth. But one should make sure that one is speaking uh, in such a way and to such people that will actually benefit them. Of the five, the most important is beneficial. That whatever I say should be actually helping someone. It shouldn't just be to establish my own false ego. Then the mind Robert says, we think of Krishna's form, Krishna's name, and how to spread the Krishna consciousness movement, how to purify our consciousness. So where our mind is absorbed like that, not absorbed in how am I going to be happy in this world, how am I going to be happy in this world. One wonderful lecture I heard, we're probably saying that we give up the tendency for plan making by making plans for Krishna's service. Then interesting, when Prabhupada talks about anger. Prabhupada says you cannot give up anger talked about Arjuna fighting. He says, without anger, fighting is not possible. But we should be angry only at demons. And my, my little mnemonic is, use our temper, not lose your temper. Have anger that's under your control. Don't lose it, but use it. If we are controlled by anger, if we get controlled by anger, it's like drinking a cup of poison. The whole body becomes polluted. They've uh, done research about animals being killed for slaughter, that before being slaughtered, if they're full of fear and anger, then the meat eaters are eating so many toxins in the bodies of the animals. Of course, you can feel the toxins in your body. Uh, anger should be out of love for Krishna. It should be a manifestation of love for Krishna, not self-righteous anger like some born-again religious, religious person that I know better than you, and, you know, nanny, nanny, I have the best religion, and you don't, and you're a demon, and not that kind of anger. What to speak of anger at the other devotees, which one of the forest fires in Krishna Leela, is uh, the anger at the other devotees, <laughs> that will give causes Vaishnava Upara, not I'm a better devotee than you, I know the scriptures better than you, I'm more advanced than you, I have a better guru than you, whatever. You know, I'm in a higher ashram than you, <laughs> I'm going to smash you. So not that kind of anger. But without anger, there's no preaching. You can't preach without some anger. Just like our Arjuna probably said, couldn't fight without anger. Unless I'm angry at the fact that people are being trained to be atheists and demons, unless I'm angry at the propaganda being made in the schools and the media, then I'm not going to have any motive to preach. And then genitals. So within marriage, having Krishna-conscious children. And Prabhupada gives a list. He says, don't think about. Not that, that illicit sex means also thinking about, planning for. It doesn't just mean the gross act. And Prabhupada says, also one should not use artificial means. So unfortunately, 
I know of many devotees who will say, oh, yes, I'm following the principles, and they're doing things that I call sex without sex. They're doing all sorts of, which we won't get into details, but they're engaging in various sorts of behaviors, either by themselves or with their spouse, that are sex that's not sex. So they can just say, well, we're actually following, but they're not following. So no cheating. No cheating. And most people need to be honest householders. And then have children. Artificial is not, Prabhupada said anything artificial is bad. Artificial is, is, not only is it useless, it's actually bad. It's actually harmful. There's one letter where Prabhupada said that this sort of thing will make one ill. So one should be honest. And real celibacy means not repression by will. But real celibacy means using that uh, sexual energy, which, by the way, is originally from the soul. Uh, you see Bhagavatam 5, 525. And Majavila 8, 138. So that energy is originally energy coming from the soul. What is it an energy of? It's an energy of love, of connection, and of creation. Love, connection, and creation. So to take the energy of love, of creativity, of connection, and use it in, in art, in poetry, in, in song, in preaching, expanding the family of devotees, in study, the brahmachari used the sexual energy both literally in terms of raising that, uh, the fluids of the body and figuratively in, uh, in study, in being absorbed in learning. So one has to use that energy. One cannot simply repress the sexual energy. That's not possible. It will cause uh, fall down. It will cause cheating. It will cause disease. It will morph into anger. Very dangerous. So real renunciation means I'm bringing that energy upwards. I'm bringing that energy upwards to the heart, to the brain. And uh, household life means I'm bringing it downwards to produced children. Okay, the tongue and the belly. Prabhupada talks a lot about how we honor prasadam. That not simply, oh, I like pizza, let me offer it to Krishna. Let Krishna become my karma stamping out machine. Uh, Okay, now I've got karma-free food. You know, like I'm going to go buy organic food. I'm going to get my karma-free food. Great, I can eat whatever. No, it's it's an act of worship. It's an act of worship. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he was saying everyone knows these ingredients, but what is this extraordinary flavor? It is the taste of Krishna's saliva. So in the Madhurya Kadambani, when Vishnu Chagavati Thakur is describing prema. He talks about how the devotee sees the Lord and his whole body, all of his senses become like eyes to see the Lord and then he faints. Then he gets revived by the smell of the Lord and all of his senses become like a nose to smell the Lord. Then the Lord speaks to him and that revives him from his faint from the smell and all of his senses become like an ear to hear the Lord's beautiful voice. And then again, he faints in ecstasy. And then the Lord touches the devotee, depending on the relationship, touches them in various ways. And all of the devotee's senses become like touch. And again, the devotee faints. And then he says, only for those devotees in conjugal love, does Krishna give the taste, the taste of his lips. And and I was reading that, and I thought, well, that's not very fair. (laughs) And then I realized, well, that's actually even not even true. Because all the devotees who are tasting prasadam, uh, they're all tasting the Lord. What does Krishna taste like? I mean, in one sense, everyone, anyone who's drinking water, has some experience of what Krishna tastes like. 
In fact, every material pleasure is some idea of what Krishna tastes like. But with prasadam, we're getting directly Krishna's taste. And what is that worship? To appreciate it. Just like, you know, when you dress up very nicely, you want someone to appreciate you. You want your wife to say, wow, you look handsome today. We want that appreciation. Oh, you sing beautifully. We want that appreciation. So Krishna also wants that appreciation. Prabhupada says in the story of Jambavan, Krishna has all the natural instincts of a human being. So we appreciate, oh, Krishna, he tastes so nice. What wonderful taste. It's a kind of worship. Uh, not that we're just not that we're eating prasadam in the mode that I'm this body and I'm the center and this food is for me. I'm eating prasadam in the mode that Krishna's the center and I'm appreciating him. And the belly, Prabhupada's saying how the belly can be controlled, first of all by eating only prasadam and also by doing occasional fasts, by doing fasts on a codice, by doing fasts on appearance day. And he also talks about that controlling the genitals depends on controlling the tongue and the belly. And, of course, controlling the tongue also relates to controlling what we speak. So now we have ourselves in order. Now I know who I am. I'm Krishna's servant. I'm using everything in Krishna's service. And when I do that, I'm actually enjoying even my senses. When I'm connected with Krishna, then I have, in fact, far better sense enjoyment than the non-devotees. I have real sense enjoyment. Whereas if I start with a false identity, I have so-called sense enjoyment. So, now we've got ourselves together, uh, at least with the basic things, body, mind, and word. Now we're going to go to hinders and help. Hinders and help. I, would, uh, I don't have time in this class, but I would strongly suggest, if you haven't already done so, that you read Bhaktivinoda Thakur's book, Bhaktiloka. That Bhaktiloka, uh, Bhaktivinoda Thakur goes through everything in text two and three in detail, and he explains how it applies to householders and to renunciates. Okay, text two. Achidhara prayasascha prajaponi magraha jana sangashtalodham cha sadbir bhakti yurvinashtati. One's devotional service is spoiled when he becomes too entangled in the following six activities eating more than necessary or collecting more funds than required. Over-endeavoring for mundane things that are very difficult to obtain. Talking unnecessarily about mundane subject matters. Practicing the scriptural rules and regulations only for the sake of following them and not for the sake of spiritual advancement. Or, rejecting the rules and regulations of the scriptures and working independently or whimsically. Association with worldly-minded persons who are not interested in Krishna consciousness and being greedy for mundane achievements. So, here we can see we're getting into some specificity. So the first verse was just general. Hey, control everything. Now, what do you do? So here in text two, we're telling, we're hearing what not to do. There's yam and niyam, what to do, what not to do. So here, too much of things, too much money, too much knowledge, too many rules, and too many achievements. Too much money, more money than you need, more knowledge than you need. Rules for the sake of rules and just uh, achievements for the sake of prestige. Or we can have the wrong kind of things. So too much of something or the wrong kind of something. Or, of course, both. Wrong kind of things, you know. So too many things or the wrong kind of things. The wrong kind of talking. Interesting that talking is mentioned, of course, in the first, Vacho Vega, 
and here we have prajalpa. So very important to control one's speech and especially prajalpa. And the wrong kind of friends, janasanga. Janasanga literally means association with people. Uh, but the understood meaning is association with the general mass of people. So how do we know what's too much and how do we know what's the wrong kind? So again, I would like to refer you to Bhaktivinoda's Bhaktuloka. But I'd say also that the way we understand Prabhupada gives in this purport, interestingly, is he starts talking about taking shelter of the spiritual energy. So the way that we can discriminate, well, what's too much? Because, you know, what's too much for me might not be enough for you. You know, I can eat one chapati, but if you're six feet five and you weigh 200 pounds, maybe you have to eat six chapatis. You know, if you're a householder with five children, then maybe you need two big cars. And if you're a brahmachari living in the temple, maybe you only need a bicycle. So, you know, what's too much? <laughs> what's too much knowledge? If your occupation is a college professor, then you need a lot more knowledge than if your occupation is a garbage collector. What what about rules? What about too much rules? You know, if you're a, a if you're a brahmana who's expert in all the rituals and all the samskaras, then you're going to be following a lot more rules than if you're just you know the, the, the sweeper or a housewife. So how do you know? You know by the guru, sadhu, and shastra, but not just technically, but by taking shelter of the internal energy, by taking shelter of Radharani instead of Durga. Then one has the intelligence. Just like Burujan asked Srila Prabhupada, you know, how do we know what's a principle that can't be changed and a detail that can? And Prabhupada said that requires intelligence. Right? Or sometimes Prabhupada would say, this requires common sense, and if you don't have any, ask someone who does. But where does that intelligence and common sense come from? You could say it comes from Krishnam, Tasvatir Gyanam, Cha. But really it comes from Daivam Prakriti Mashritaha, taking shelter of Radharani, taking shelter of Krishna's energy of pleasure, Ladini Shakti. Radharani is the personification of making Krishna happy. And our identity, again, is having Krishna at the center. Uh, so therefore we know, okay, what is, what is how, how do we make Krishna happy? And it, you can also see practically, you know, if getting more money, if getting more knowledge, if getting more achievements, if getting more into the rules, if I forget Krishna, because the basis is always remember Krishna and never forget him. So that's the test. That's the ultimate test. If I do this thing, do I remember Krishna more? It, does my sadhana improve? Do I focus more on my rounds or do I not have time to chant my rounds anymore? You know, should I take this job? Should I live in this place? Should I try to get more money? Should I do this? Well, does it help you? I mean, first Guru Sadhu and Shastra. That's the first thing. And then on an individual level, do I think about Krishna more? If I get in this philosophical fight with the devotee, Do I remember Krishna more? Is it helpful to me? Or is it something that just distracts me? Is it something that just takes something away from me? And that one has to be very honest. 
You know, I, I remember one devotee who wanted to do a, uh, and Ramananda might know who I'm talking about, who wanted to do a Food for Life program, a Prasadam program. But he didn't have the money, so he went to the government. And he, um, you know, was going to get some money and facility and a building from the government. But the government had all kinds of restrictions that if they were going to give that facility, they wouldn't be able to prohibit meat eating or smoking or whatever in the in the building. And also what happened is this devotee spent so much time doing it that he stopped coming to the morning program. He stopped chanting his rounds. So it was very simple. You know, if taking up this thing means that my spiritual life is finished, or it's not even the externals. Maybe you're still, maybe you can still chant your rounds, uh, but you're, but your mind is wandering all over the place. You know, you're just thinking about this thing and that thing instead of Krishna. So then you, then you know for sure, okay, this is either too much of something or it's the wrong kind of something. Instead of thinking of Krishna, I'm thinking about, oh, those devotees who don't agree with me about Varnashram. Oh, those people over there. Oh, what about this over there? And this became very clear to me several years ago when, when we were at a meeting and one devotee said, you know, if we go down this path, you forget all about the, the beautiful blue boy playing his flute. And I thought, yeah, no, that's what it's really all about. We can do this project. We can do that project. We can uh, you know, fight the battle with this demon or we can try to make a, some philosophical point with these devotees. But that's not that's not really the uh hold, hold on one second. And what about friends? You know, when we first come to Krishna consciousness, one of the big things is how am I going to be a devotee of Krishna and at the same time keep up with all my friends? But as you gradually learn that sometimes you have to say, hey, you know, this relationship needs to go by the wayside. It's not something that that I'm going to be able to maintain and also please Krishna. But that's the essence. Is this pleasing to Krishna? When we say taking shelter of Radharani, what we mean is thinking in terms of, is this going to please Krishna? And how do you know is it going to please Krishna? Do you think about Krishna more? Right? Are you meditating on Krishna? That's the essence of it. Okay, let's go on now to text three. Utsahan nishayadarya tatsat karma pravartanat sangachaga sukovrite sadvir bhakti prasiddhati. There are six principles favorable to the execution of pure devotional service. Being enthusiastic, endeavoring with confidence, being patient, acting according to regular principles such as Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu, Smaranam, hearing, chanting, and remembering Krishna, abandoning the association of non-devotees, and following in the footsteps of the previous acharyas. These six principles undoubtedly assure the complete success of pure devotion and service. So this is basic. This is our, our basic thing. Everything else is on top of this. Everything else are the details. But these are the, the main thing, what to do. So Rupa Goswami is giving us, right, what not to do and what to do. And Prabhupada says here, 
that spiritual life is not a mental a matter of sentimental speculation or imaginative ecstasy. It's not like, oh, I think I'm really spiritual. You know, I have some crystals in my house. I have some little angel figurines or some, you know, imagining that you're in some sort of ecstasy. He says, nor is it artificially stopping all actions. It's enthusiastic, confident patience. By the way, if you're just enthusiastic and you're not patient, then it's the mode of passion. And if you're just patient but you're not enthusiastic, that's the mode of ignorance. So one wants to be all three, enthusiastic, confident, and patient. Confident means faith. That means faith. means courage also. That I know if I surrender to Krishna, I know if I follow the instructions of my spiritual master, I will achieve perfection. I have that confidence. I mean, we have confidence in so many things. If I get a college degree, I'll make more money and I'll be successful in the world. You know, if I get this car, all the girls will like me. Whatever. You know, we have so much faith in so many foolish things. Why not have confidence in the self-realized souls? That if I just follow this path, surely Krishna will bestow his mercy. I'll be proud of this. Purport that one will be dragged to ultimate success. Once for the story. Such a thing. One will be dragged. Of course, Krishna doesn't say this. But in other words, that somehow or other, once you start the path, you will be successful. And then patience. Uh, patience has to be there. If you're... Uh, you're learning a new skill, one has to be patient. Right? If you're learning anything, one has to be patient. And if uh, our condition is not exactly that we're learning something new, our condition is that we become addicted to sense gratification, like someone who becomes addicted to alcohol or heroin. And we're in a treatment program, and we have to be patient. Or the examples often given is someone who's sick. And someone's sick, one of my uh, granddaughters was sick the other day. You have to be patient. You take the proper medicine, you take the proper diet, and you're confident that if the person who's treating you knows what they're doing, that you'll get well. But it's not that you take the medicine and then you jump out of bed and start running down the street. Or the example Prabhupada gives here is having a child. And he says that naturally, of course nowadays nobody's natural anymore, but he says naturally when a woman gets married, she wants to have a child. But she has to wait. She has to wait until she conceives and she has to wait until... Uh, the child is born. We have a, a new baby here who's just started to smile. He's almost six weeks old. And I was thinking, you know, so long from planning the child, from uh, the child being conceived to being pregnant to giving birth, and then the child growing up for six weeks before you actually start getting any kind of real reciprocation from the child. One has to be patient uh, with anything. Why patient? Because very contaminated. And if I tried to change everything immediately, it would be too much. I wouldn't be able to do it. Krishna's not going to reveal. Of course, sometimes, as explained in the fourth canto, sometimes Krishna reveals all of one's anarthas at once. Uh, but generally speaking, one has to be patient. That Krishna will reveal things as we're able to deal with them. You know, reveal things. He's an expert teacher. He'll show us what the next step to take is. Actually, in Bhaktiloka under Niyamagraha, which is one of my favorite uh, sections of Bhaktivinoda Thakur's book, this is, of course, uh, on text two rather than text three, but it very much relates to your to being patient. This Bhaktivinoda Thakur, talking about Niyamagraha, says that there's different rules for each stage of advancement. 
and that if you refuse to go on, if if when you if when you're ready to take a step, you remain attached to the rules of the previous step. He said those rules act like chains around your feet. Is that something that Srila Prabhupada talks about also quite a number of times that he's referring to that section of Bhaktiloka. And in a similar way, if you try to take a step up before you're ready for it, you'll trip and you'll, you'll fall on your face. So often in ISKCON, we emphasize not going too fast that if you go try to go too fast, you can end up to be a sahajya. But also one should not go too slow. You don't get attached to the, the piece of ground that you're on. So we be, we're patient that Krishna as the master teacher, that he knows exactly what we need to do to advance, and he's going to give it to us at the right time. Now, well, I want to know this now. I want to understand this now. Well, maybe we're not capable of understanding it now. Maybe it's not the right time. So patience, patience, not insisting that I have to know and understand everything now, that I have to have all my advancement now. At the same time, not being a sluggard and not saying, well, I'm just going to take it easy and go slowly. I had one friend who complained to me and said, my spiritual life has become very dry. I'm not making any advancement. And in the course of the conversation, I discovered that he was praying to Krishna, please just go slow and easy on me. I said, well, there's your problem. You're asking Krishna to go more slowly than you're capable of doing. And therefore, you're starting to feel dry and and, uh, unenthusiastic. So without patience, we will over-endeavor. Prabhupada talks about not over-endeavoring. Interestingly enough, in the Nectar of Devotion, Prabhupada defines over-endeavor as taking spiritual vows that you can't fulfill say you're going to chant 120 rounds a day or things like that. And enthusiasm isn't just a feeling. Prabhupada talks about enthusiasm as practical action. He says, endeavor executed with intelligence in Krishna consciousness. All right, Endeavor executed with intelligence in Krishna consciousness. We could spend probably a week or so just looking at that one phrase. Krishna consciousness means I'm aware of Krishna. I'm aware that Krishna is in my heart. I'm aware that Krishna is the air I'm breathing. I'm aware that Krishna is the light of the sun. I'm, I, I feel Krishna's presence. I'm thinking of Krishna. Then with intelligence, where does intelligence come from? Intelligence comes from Guru, Sadhu, and Shastra. Intelligence comes from being under the shelter of the internal energy. Intelligence comes from having my identity as Krishna's servant. And then endeavor means you're doing something. You're doing something. There's, there's some tangible behavior. I'm not simply nothing. I'm not just merging. So there's behavior, but it's not just behavior. I'm not just running around selling books or cleaning the floor. But my behavior is guided by intelligence, and I am aware of Krishna. So without that or without patience, we'll over-endeavor. And confidence is part of the six symptoms of surrender. The six symptoms of surrender, one of them is Krishna will surely protect me and give me help for the successful execution of devotional service. Also, interestingly enough, we have, of course, in Bhagavad Gita 2.45, I believe it is. One advantage of getting class on my computer is that I can help people. Yes. 245, where Krishna says, Nir yoga shema atmavam. If you're established in the self, then you're not worried about getting things 
or about keeping things. And as Krishna says later, Yoga Kshema 9.22, Yoga Kshema Vaham Yaham. So that's confidence. And it's interesting that in those purports, in 245, the purport's mostly about material things. In 922, the purport's mostly about spiritual advancement. But on both levels, that Atmavan, if we're situated in the self, again, if our identity is correct, if we know who we are, then we have no anxiety for gain or safety. We have no anxiety for getting things or for keeping things. Why? Yoga Kshema Vaham Yaham that Krishna is going to take care of not only what we need materially. Krishna will make sure we get food. Krishna will make sure we get clothes. Krishna will make sure we have friends. Krishna will make sure we have everything that we need. But also that Krishna will make sure we have everything we need for our spiritual advancement. Krishna will give us the right association. Krishna will give us the right instruction from within our hearts. Of course, we have to take advantage of it. Just like the someone throwing their rope in the well, the person also has to grab the rope. But Krishna will give everything. The good teacher, even materially, they will give everything the student needs. They'll give them a desk. They'll give them a chair. They'll give them their books. The teacher will set aside some time. Now, but if the person doesn't take advantage of it, then the teacher may say, sorry, sorry, I'm not going to work with you for a while. Uh, so we have to take advantage. But Krishna is giving everything. And how? Prabhupada lists the nine processes of devotional service. Right, that we have be hearing, chanting, remembering, prayer and obeisances. Vandana means both prayer and obeisances. Serving the lotus feet, which also means traveling to holy places, serving Tulsi Devi, worshiping, becoming Krishna's friend, seeing that Krishna Suradam Sarvabhutanam is our best friend, and the six symptoms of surrender. And seeing the Lord, really we want to focus on seeing that the Lord will protect me, seeing that the Lord will maintain me, doing what's favorable and avoiding what's unfavorable, as Rupa Goswami has explained here. Being humble. Humble means having the proper identity. And uh, and doing the principles, the basic principles, with devotees as the devotees have done, following the footsteps of the previous Acharya. Not inventing our own process. Again, we could talk about this at length, how Srila Prabhupada took the processes of the nine processes of devotional service and he systematized them into the morning program, into 16 rounds, reading Bhagavatam, etc. So our spiritual life begins here with control, not through willpower, through identity, through proper identity, through wanting to please Krishna, putting our attention and identification from matter to spirit, identifying with spirit, putting our attention to spirit. Now, once we have ourself and our life properly situated, then we can have the proper relationship to devotees and to society. I have to end here today. My daughter-in-law is uh, graduating from U of H, and we have to leave in 10 minutes with the crew. So I have to end five minutes early and not take any questions. Thank you very much. All glories to Sri Prabhupada. Well, thank you very much, Mataji. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Thank you very much, Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. I got a quick question that maybe somebody here can answer. Okay. Um, Sri Bhakti Loka. I never heard of that book before. How would one find it? I yeah, I was looking for it online also. Did you find it? No. 
It's on the database, uh, 2011 database under uh, books of the previous Acharyas, Bhaktivinoda Kaur. So that's applicable. Oh, that's, that's not the 2003 edition. It's the newer edition? Yeah, but if you have the 2003, all you have to do is go online and you can download. Uh, it's a content um, upgrade, not a uh, software upgrade. So it'll just have more stuff in it. I didn't actually check to see if it was in the 2003. I, I had the 2011 open. I can check to see if it's in there, though. Oh, is it possible to copy and paste it? And uh, how long is it? Uh, I don't know that. I mean, uh, the book itself is, you know, uh, a little less than a half inch thick paper bound, you know, but available, but it's in there. Uh, here, but Alex just put a link here. Uh, you got a PDF? This yeah. is a, here you go. There it is. Check the dash. Yeah, here's Bacchia Loka. Can you post the link as a PDF? Yeah. Right on, on your website or email it to me? Yeah, I'll put it on the website and I'll email it out. And, uh, oh, wonderful. Yeah, no, thank, no, you. thank you, Alex, very much. I don't know. Ramananda Prabhu? Yeah. Could you please email me Irmala's uh, handout for this class? Sure. I can do that. Thank you. All right. I got my homework to do then. Also, right. I want to know if Irmala is working off a transcript. Because it seems like it's very dense, uh, it's very concentrated, her presentation, and it seems like uh, if she's just running this at, off the top of her head, I'm just going to like, I'll be shocked. <laughs> but I understand. She teaches these courses many, many times. Right. Yeah. So I'd be very, very interested in the transcript from today's class. Uh, I, it's very I have a feeling she might have an outline, but I don't. Yeah, outline. I bet you she has an outline. Still, it's useful. I, I would like. It's just. I would really like to see it if it's possible. Okay. I just want to make one comment. Did anybody notice? At least I never understood this before when she mentioned about uh, of all the austerities of speech. The most important is to speak beneficially. Somewhere I didn't know that I was always trying to figure out how do you do them all at the same time, but there is a hierarchy, and if nothing else, at least if you can speak beneficial, even if it offends, it should be beneficial. I thought that was a very good point. How do you define beneficial? Oh, uh, well, something that's going to help someone's spiritual advancement. But that may not be something they want to hear. Right, so she's saying even if it's something that... Uh, they don't want to hear. You know, you try and say it in such a way it's not going to offend them. But better, it's beneficial. That's the most. Important. Yeah. Ramananda Prabhu. Yes, Suresh for Prabhu. If you want to read more about beneficial, look under under uh, austerity of speech, Gita chapter 17, text 15. Very eye opening. Uh huh. Yeah, Did Karang. Yeah, Gita. 17th chapter, 15th verse, austerity of speech. Ah. 
You should speak truthfully, beneficially, and avoiding speech that offends. One should also recite the Vedas regularly. Good purport on that subject that you just asked, Matt. Uh, Suresh Prabhu, do you know the uh, the Sanskrit aphorism for the truth should be spoken pleasingly? Do you know that Sanskrit? Hmm. You mean from? It's right in the verse. Oh, in Satyam Satyam Priya Hitang Chayat. Okay, that's the verse. That's young Priya. Priya, dear, you should speak in a, in a way that's dear. And then, but Prabhupada, he presents another side in the purport. So read that and you'll get, you get a well-rounded picture of what, because the question was, what does that mean? So <laughs> Prabhupada gets into it in that purport. I see. Because uh, a sannyasi gave a class in India when I was there, and uh, he gave it in reference to the, you know, Shringi, the young son of the yogi that cursed uh, Parikshit. Uh, Parikshit and then the yogi had to, to send a messenger to the king to relay that had actually taken place that he had been cursed to die for, in seven days and so the way the sannyasi was using it in the class was that uh, unpalatable truth should not be spoken so this is, he's quoting Prabhupada word for word here. And I don't know if he's, he's getting into the verse or the purport you just mentioned. But his yes, he is. Yes, his definitely. And read that purport and you'll, you'll come away with a, a well-rounded picture. You know, sometimes when we preach, we have agendas. So, uh, you know, it, it's delicate. So you have to know, Irma is so good because she's always about applying you know, into, into time, place, and person. So the bottom line, yes, is if by my... just I'll tell you something that happened to me yesterday. Uh, I won't go into the details, but somebody was trying to correct me, uh, some junior guy, which, you know, if I were a little more advanced, I probably would have been a little more humble about it. But the way he did it was, you know, was, was practically worse than what I was doing. <laughs> so that's the thing. We have to consider... If by my speech or whatever, is this going to help? Is this going to actually help somebody? You know, we had that whole uh, lesson in, on Bhakti Sadachar, Vaishnava behavior. How do you correct? How do you receive correction? It's an art, and it takes a lot of maturity and a, and a generous Vaishnava heart. So. It's a very short purport. Yeah, it's short, but, you know, it, there's a lot in there. You know how when Prabhupada writes, it's just chock-a-block with meaning. So you really have to meditate on every sentence. Right. <laughs> but, uh, so we shouldn't agitate the minds, minds of others, you know. And then he qualifies that. Keep reading. If you want. Of course, when you're a student, right, what he says, he says if you're a teacher, you might have to you know, correct or chastise the students. Anyway, maybe this is getting a little far afield, Ramananda. I, also, I was also very uh, much, uh, it struck me, you know, that part of the talk. There's one comment I thought it might be fun here is that when someone thinks that they're right, they really get overboard and lose all sensitivity about uh, how to be beneficial or that how the person is going to assimilate it. They, they're right, and then watch out. So when people 
get in that mindset that they're right and the other person's wrong, they really become highly enlivened with certain qualities. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we cease to become people's well-wisher at that point. We, you know, we're, we're really just about winning. And that, that's not helpful because uh, I think Bidugd and I were going back and forth a, a week or two ago about, you know, in discussing things. We really want to be uh, coming from what's called vada or, or really trying to discern, arrive at the truth instead of uh, vitanda. Vitanda is just trying to win at all costs. And that's what we do in Kali Yuga. You know, we're just trying to get, you know, beat somebody. It's really bad. I was on a, uh, I was out sailing, you'll, you'll like this. With uh, Vatsal and Radnath Maharaj, and who else was on board? Sureshwarji, I think maybe you were, I can't remember. And um, somehow the discussion, a minor point came up about ecodicy. That um, Vatsal said that ecodicy was, um, was coming up next week or something. And I said, no, Prabhu, ecodicy is not, not for almost two weeks. We, we just had ecodicy a few days ago. And Vatsal and I sort of went back and forth, and ultimately uh, I, I defeated him and uh, sort of proved that he was wrong, and, and he admitted it. And then Radhanath Maharaj said, he said, actually, I'm more impressed with someone who, would, who admits they're wrong rather than someone who proves himself right. Die. <laughs> That's why everybody so I, so I, I won, I won I won the battle, but I lost the war. <laughs> but here's here's what uh, the point I was going to make. The sannyasi was saying, quoting Prabhupada word for word. I just read through the purport, and I, I get it. And his he was coming away with the idea that uh, it was almost like you shouldn't hear bad news. Unpalatable truth should not be spoken. And he was applying it like that. He wasn't applying it that. Even a Vaishnava, he can even speak the truth to an enemy. You know, so a Vaishnava, his speech is, is such that even an enemy doesn't get offended. And I, I remember in specifically Haridas Thakur, and that uh, he was brought before that Muslim ruler by the, uh, you know, that madman, that other Muslim that wanted him punished or killed for chanting. And Haridas just pleaded his case straight up. He didn't flinch. He, you know, and when the when his life was threatened, he said, you can cut me up into pieces. I'm still going to chant. But, uh, but the Muslim ruler was not offended. You could tell. He was just being pressured by this madman that had brought him to him. And uh, that's when he got uh, punished in the 22 marketplaces. But uh, in that part of uh, Chaitanya Charitamrita is beautiful. I mean, it shows the Vaishnava, he can, you know, he doesn't have to be diplomatic even when his life is threatened. But it's how you say it. It's not what you're saying, it's how you say it. Yeah. Yeah, a sadhu, sadhu, he cuts. But if you're going to cut, you better you that blade better be stainless. It, you better be coming not envy. That one time Prabhupada was at a, a rich man's house and he more or less said that you're a thief. You stolen all this from Krishna, but he does it with such charm that he laughed and he, he was uh, very pleased by hearing that. 
So that's, uh, if the intention is there, the intelligence is guided to make the word sweet like that. Right. It's a little subtle. And, and, then, and then the sannyasi said, yeah, Prabhupada didn't even follow that. Although he said that, he didn't follow it. And, uh, and then my response to that was, well, I wouldn't be here if Prabhupada hadn't, you know, didn't have the style. If he was bland or, you know, diplomatic about it, it wouldn't have penetrated my skull, you know. So, yeah, Prabhupada's saying these rascals or this thing or that thing, like Irma was saying this morning, that uh, you direct your uh, your anger towards demons. And I was surprised, actually, to, I was almost objecting mentally when she said, you have to be angry to preach, you know. But there is something to that, you know, just like a shatri has to be angry to fight. You have to be a little disturbed with what's going on to try to help, you know, the the people that can be helped, you know, to hear the right message. Use your temper, don't lose it. That was great the way she said it, because that's part of the soul too. Anger is a is a coming from Krishna and coming. It's part of us. Uh huh. Use it. Use it. Don't be used by it. Right. Yeah, you could almost make a a bumper sticker for devotees and push out. <laughs> 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 we should uh, stop now but thank you uh, thank you very much Rach for coming in at the end here no I, I was there the whole time I just I'm unplugged and I'm you know doing other things I, I shouldn't admit that maybe. <laughs> no I mean your comments at the end oh all right, thank you very much, Prabhus. For anybody that's not on Skype or free conference, I've also emailed uh, that uh, link that, uh, was it? Bhakti Alex, I think, gave us for Bhakti Vinotakura's book. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. Hmm? thank you. Oh, you're welcome. All right, thank you very much, Prabhus. Uh, right. uh, Hare Krishna. Haribo. Tonight we uh, discussed about Srila Prabhupada, and then tomorrow, Sunday, we have no class. But there is a class uh, for uh, Monday, which is uh, uh, the appearance day of Lord Nishinga Day, but just nothing in the evening, at least evening for us here. No Bhagavad Gita class. So we'll see everybody soon. Thank you very much for both. Uh, Hare Krishna. 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 Hare